Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code SPOTIFY for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. This episode is brought to you by Visit Myrtle Beach. You know what's better than getting away to a beach? Getting together at the beach. Myrtle Beach, South Carolina. They've got over 2,000 restaurants, live music playing all day and night, and endless attractions. This place was made for playing hard and beaching easy. Welcome to 60 Miles Where You Belong. The Beach, Myrtle Beach, South Carolina. Plan your trip at visitmyrtlebeach.com. The Pod Fix Network. Hello and welcome to episode 234 of the Filmmakers Podcast. This is a podcast where we talk filmmaking from indie film to studio films and everything in between. How to get them made, how to make them and how to try not to F it up in a very, very humble opinion. Today, we are talking to directors John C. Lyons and Dorota Chuviens. They are the team behind the fantastic fracking horror story Unearth. Fracking horror story. Dirty minds get out the gutter. Fracking as in digging down into the ground. It is a really cool cool film and John and Dorota came on and chatted all about their journey they both edited the film John co-wrote it and they both produced it you're gonna love today's episode because John and Dorota are real indie filmmakers getting their hands dirty and getting down in the dirt and the earth literally fracking horror story to uh, (laughs) to deliver this great movie themselves you'll find out why in a bit they talk about how they started and about their first film schism which uh they made by borrowing cameras uh, and they shot it over 55 days but not consecutively with about six people and they talk about their second feature there are no goodbyes which they made for zero budget they also talk about how they raised money on kickstarter then they made a proof of concept and then they made their feature they talk about making sacrifices having to learn the business of film pitching to investors why they use practical effects and why you should think about the budget and always do a background check on your crew all that is coming up for you you're gonna learn so much from this app yeah how is everyone are you well did you go out and do something last week to make your film to make it possible did you speak to an investor did you write your pitch deck did you write more of your script what did you do i hope you did something i really do if you did congratulations well done i hope it's moving forward for you if you didn't why the fuck not get on it this week do it come on man you want to make films let's do it let's do it together uh, so be inspired. You can't help but be inspired by this week's app. Like you couldn't from last week with Wyatt Rockefeller and Julie Fabrizio talking about Settlers. Their debut movie. They had Johnny Lee Miller and Sophie Batella in it. Jeez. 
you can do it too. Uh, listen to that episode, by the way. It's brilliant last week, obviously after you've listened to this week's ep. Uh, some news. The Dare, my debut feature, has just been released. By the way, I shot this in 2016. <laughs> has just been released in Germany and in France on Blu-ray. And I, this week, have been putting together the behind the scenes and editing the commentary that myself and Andy Roger DOP did and Julian Kostoff and Bart Edwards and Johnny Grant did like about, I don't know, a year ago. I've been editing those together and an alternative ending, an alternative beginning to the dare, which will be on the DVD slash Blu-ray, which will be released in America and Canada very soon. How exciting. It's only fucking five years later. <laughs> That's filmmaking, kids. That is filmmaking. Thank you all for your emails and suggestions for a crew on Three Day Millionaire, which we are shooting in September. It's a comedy set around trawler fishermen. It is brilliant. So thank you for all your emails and applications for that. Decisions are going to be made in the next coming days because we're all going up to Grimsby to make a movie. Exciting. Exciting. Uh, if you didn't hear that, listen to last week's episode. You might just get there in time. We are still searching for some certain crew members. So, uh, shout outs this week. Go to Diane Knight, Adam Murphy, John Ginge Moore, Sean E. Evans, and Fizz and Ginger, because their book is out. It's amazing. They have a book out called Full to the Brim with Fizz, Ginger, and First Determination. It's a book about indie filmmaking. These guys are part of the podcast. Link is in the show notes. Go support, go buy it. Not only should you buy it to support, but because it's brilliant, it's so insightful into filmmaking. You'll learn tons. And Patreon, our Patreon. We have a new bonus episode on our Patreon right now with even more in-depth information. If you're not part of our Patreon club, you're missing out. There is loads on there and more tidbits, more advice, more filmmaking stuff, interviews with me, ignore that. But there's full, really cool interviews on there. Get yourself there. Uh, Filmmakers podcast forward slash Patreon. Come and support us. We do this for now, so come and support us. Link is in the show notes to that. Shout outs to our top two Patreons, as always. Marley J. Munro and... Kevin Pybus. Come and join us, gang. Thank you for all those new patrons who have signed up already. You're amazing. You're already getting that super, super cool bonus information. Remember, if you do like this, tell your pals. That's how we grow. And if you're feeling very kind, go on iTunes slash Apple and give us a lovely five-star review. Why not? Why not? Right, let's get to it. Our episode with John C. Lines and Dorota Shivien's talking about their journey filmmaking and their ace new film Unearth which is out now here it is enjoy hey 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 how are you both it's a delight to have you on the filmmakers podcast thank you for joining us you well yeah thank you for having time to talk to us yeah thank you absolute on pleasure Sunday. yeah it's a Sunday isn't it I know, it's strange. I was just playing chess with my dad and I went, I've got to go, dad. I've got to go. We were literally having a, probably the best game we'd had for ages. It was like we were both battling. It was very nice. It's a good way to connect, especially online, you know, with Zoom these days and not being able to see him. So I started to play chess in lockdown. It's been really, really pleasant, pleasant way to connect. Um, have you guys been, what, is it morning where you are? Because it's it's 7 p.m. here. Whereabouts are you? Tell our listeners where you are. It's two two in the afternoon here. Oh, okay. Yeah. What about the New York based? 
We're, we're East Coast. We're in a, a city called Erie, which is uh, by Lake Erie. Is it a good place to get filming done there? Is there a lot of stuff that happens in that area? Tell me about the area, uh, Dorota. What's it? Are you both there? You take it you're both there? Uh, well, I'm not from Erie, PA, but um, we did film in Erie, PA. And um, of course, um, this place, it's not really film oriented yet. I know that it's work in progress to have it more suited for the film productions. I know there is a film office, which is very active and pursuing, which I'm sure John can talk more, more about it. And yeah, there's some issues to, pro- to start film productions. As you know, every indie filmmaker has some issues and there is budget limitations and there is crew limitations. So we had that kind of situation when we start filming this film. So... Yeah, well, you must do because you know when it is a kind of a small town. I take it Erie is quite a small town. It's it's difficult to find crew members, or you know you've got to bring them in from outside. Is that what you guys did then? And I mean, you are you, you obviously are not from there, Dorota, originally, as you mentioned. But is a kind of a thriving community. You're making shorts there. What's happening? Yeah, it's we're we kind of served as the guinea pigs, uh, really, Giles, as far as. <laughs> With Unearth, we wanted to test the waters to see if somebody could shoot, you know, a sub million dollar, you know, movie with professional cast yeah. and crew um, in our little corner of the world. Uh, and and we pulled it off. But yeah, to Dorota's, what Dorota's saying, yeah, we're, we're definitely building a new industry here in northwestern Pennsylvania. And um, yeah, it's very green. So... The cool things about Erie is where our location is right on a lake, which, you know, can double as an ocean. So we have beaches and waterfront. And then Mm. our four seasons here are all very intense. There's very snowy winters, very rainy springs. The fall is beautiful. The summer is super hot. Uh, And we filmed on Earth in in the... uh, sweaty part of of august uh which is a challenge of course <laughs> it, it's funny isn't it i think it, everyone says oh, i want to film summer and then you film summer and it's too hot and you say no next time i'm going to film winter i want it to be cool and have snow everywhere and you go it was way too cold <laughs> so it's that you want that fine balance don't you of that spring into summer right i mean that's kind of the sweet spot yeah that's the uh, you know the thing you get with independent filmmaking right is uh you have to be able to adapt all the time constantly and um so yeah there's always challenges and uh you want the weather to be a little different or you wrote a scene a little different or maybe Mm -hmm. a scene was was a daytime scene and you're ending up shooting it at night uh or the location (laughs) changes like we um we our film takes place uh between two neighboring farms and we had locations, but we lost one of them um, at the last minute. And the farms are supposed to be right across the road from each other and very isolated. So we were in a mad dash just a couple months uh, before production uh, to find new locations. So, wow. yeah, I mean, there's all kinds of challenges, right? Totally. I think I think that's that's just filmmaking. Indie filmmaking is I say this a lot, it's just compromise after compromise, you know, and in the end you compromise those compromises because how else are you going to get it done? No one knows that when you put your film out and it get reviewed and all this sort of stuff. They don't know what you've gone through. They don't care either. They put it next to the latest, you know, Marvel movie and you just have to accept it and go, 
that's what you're going to get. You know, if you're going to be an indie filmmaker, you just got to hope that you those compromises aren't too much. Did you start making shorts together? Is that something that you, you know, from your time at college together? Did you start making shorts there or making anything there together? How did it work? Uh, yeah, we started working uh, like uh, after the college was done. I mean, uh, that then I decided to stay in, uh, stay in the United States and we start working on little project like this, practicing basically, because we are not after film school. So, of course, we need to practice and realize what we're getting into before mm-hmm. starting something bigger because we yep. don't have that experience and we don't have that uh, um, network or being even even privilege of finishing film school. So we had to start basically from zero and just put our own, let's say, portfolio or some kind of experience to be able to move to larger projects. And our friends were filming too. So we were helping camera work and uh, other things. Yeah. And I think you do, don't you? You do all help each other. And uh, you sort of, you ha- uh, those people who rise to the top, those people, you can see who, who really wants to do this or at least attempt to do this as a career. Because like you say, if you do live in the middle of nowhere, it's really, really hard to do it as a career. It's like, how do you even start? <laughs> you know, you can't afford the equipment for one. I mean, you can maybe borrow it from the college, but that doesn't last for very long because once you've left, they're like, no, I need it for the other students. Or if you break it, you know, it's really difficult. Yeah. So we, it was just a lot of practice. It was shorts. Um, we did a couple, you know, zero budget features. Um, yeah, all in, oh, what would you say, Jerota? Maybe like 10 or 10 or 15 years probably of, you know, practice essentially before, um, we were like, you know, in kicks in on earth started as a much lower budget. Uh, not that our budget was large by any means, but a much lower budget, uh, project on Kickstarter. And it was just because, you know, uh, there were like 275 people across the world that mm-hmm. contributed to that Kickstarter. And we got 150% of our goal that we were kind of like, okay, maybe this is the one yeah. that we try and raise more money. Let's use this Kickstarter to do a proof of concept and let's see if we can attract more talent and a professional cast and crew. And that's how we kind of took that next step. That's incredible. I really like that. I, I like the get up and go. And I, and I also like that you glossed over the fact that you made two <laughs> indie films before this. Just, oh yeah, and then we just made a couple of indie films. Um, and I was like, look, we need to talk about those because we just do. This is what we, you know, the Filmmakers Podcast is all about getting that first one done. And then obviously, unearth- I, I actually love the film. I thought it had so much oh, heart and it looked like a big budget movie. It really looked like you thought about the shots, the angles, the, the care behind it all was really well done. We'll come back to it because I think, you know, people want to know, want to know how you got there. Cause that's, that's the big thing. How did you get to it? How did you raise the money? How did we get through it? So Shizm, I take it was your first feature. Is that right? That you did? Yeah, schism. 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 And then I take it the second one was uh, There Are No Goodbyes. Correct. Let's let's talk about them. Just you can do it briefly as you like and you can ignore them as much as you like. But it's still good to mention that you did these and that that was what you learned from it that you brought into Unearth. So let's talk about the first one. Uh, Schism first. How did you manage to raise funds? How did you go about it? I take it was very low budget. 
12%. Very low budget. Schism, <laughs> Schism was, uh, so we had purchased our DVX 100 for a short called Hunting Camp. We did two shorts, Hunting mm-hmm. Camp, BOGO, um, and those were kind of building up getting used to that camera and the workflow, yeah. you know, the workflow, a whole other challenge compared to, you know, now with just plug in a card and it's all digital, right? Amazing, like you got to right? read in, read in yeah. the digital tapes and all of that stuff. Um, yeah. Schism was, uh, it was a very personal story. Um, I wrote Schism as well. My father was suffering from Alzheimer's, uh, dementia. And the story is, at that point, we hadn't seen any stories that were from the point of view of the afflicted, usually in Alzheimer's stories before, and this was 2006. Usually you'd seen stories from the point of view of the family and how that affected them. We wanted to show the experience, like get in the headspace of the person with the disease. And this was a challenging shoot because, you know, we could not build a long-term care facility on a zero budget, right? Yeah. So we had to find a um, assisted living facility, long care facility that would allow us to film there. So if you can imagine, you can't shut it down. So we had to get permission from the families Mm -hmm. um, of all the residents to be able to film there. And we blurred the lines between documentary and fictional narrative because the families would say yes or no to yes, I would love to have my loved one be an extra in this scene Mm -hmm. and stuff like that. So we would have a mix of our actors and we filmed for... (laughs) was it maybe like 50 days or something to wrote it over the course of a year? Wow. 55 days. My gosh. Over the course of a year, um, we would just go there when we could, when actors were available, when crew was available, our crew was at most, I think six people. Mm -hmm. Yeah. We really had two people of crew. We have boom guy and light guy. And then John and I, that's all our crew. And we have makeup. Also. Yeah, and makeup also. How and obviously finding actors from that area must have been tricky too, right? I mean, sometimes you're just getting friends of friends of friends who fancy it, and they're not necessarily actor trained. Must be difficult too. You've made a feature film, the two of you, you know, and that is a big thing. People sometimes can overlook that as their first one or something. Maybe you didn't. Maybe you did. But people do, and I think it's a huge achievement from anyone in any walk of life, whether you ridiculously rich and you've got parents in the industry or it's the totally opposite and you live in the middle of nowhere both are a huge challenge obviously one's harder than the other but at the same time to still you're under pressure you're under enormous stress and pressure and i think it's a huge achievement it's really good did that lead then you on to go right let's do there are no goodbyes let's make our second movie because it wasn't long after by the looks of it that you did go on to make that which is a sci-fi drama as well so again you were like right let's push the boundary straight away was that was that the plan which Toronto always will challenge me with of you know <laughs> like writing something that's you know a bit beyond but, yeah, your let's means, have, yeah, right? let's have a hot air balloon in it yeah let's have elephants yeah <laughs> they're all in space even better do it. But with this one, I, which, which I'm sure Dero is going to jump in on, Dorota and I, for the second one, purposefully became the whole crew. We were, um, you know, oh. operating camera, running sound ourselves, and it was very intimate. We filmed it very intimate. Uh, yeah, it was a very uh, small production, I would say. We had the story between two young people meeting and falling in love. So obviously, yes, it was kind of a bit different than Schism. 
mm. and also zero budget and small crew and basically learning projects, just something to learn how to make it. And we had Panasonic camera again. That was the time when we did not have the digital film um, equipment like we have those days and everyone was laughing at us saying, why you film? You know, it's the real film, it's on the film 16 or 35 and this is not real deal. So they're basically laughing at us and now they're shooting everything digital. So it's kind of... Yeah, yeah they, well, they can laugh, but at the end of the day, you made another feature film, you know, and did they go on to make another feature film? Maybe they did. Maybe they were, you know, Steven Soderbergh, who knows, but yeah. probably not. And the fact is you did and then that, obviously it's e it's not easier but it does become slightly easier when you bring in on cast for unearth to go we have made features before they understand and for me as a producer my producer head on i'd much prefer to work with a director producer writer team who have made a feature before even if that feature is terrible it doesn't matter it it, they've gone through the heartache and the pain and the difficulty of getting a feature finished and out there in the world. It's a huge thing. Yeah, I'd say it's, it really is. So, it, you know, hats off to you for doing it. And the fact is you two did this, just the two of you, is pretty impressive. Was that, and was that just out of necessity? Was that just kind of like, look, let's just go on with it? And obviously you had your cast as well. Some of these casts are great as well. So was that just a kind of necessity again? Let's just get on with it. Let's just shoot ourselves. How come you didn't bring others on? Well, because there's no budget and it was just, uh, right? And there was no, we are in the middle of nowhere. So people have regular jobs. They don't really make movies for a living. So it's again hard to get someone who is, will be interested working for free and with some kind of experience and equipment. We didn't have any equipment either to either rent or buy. So it's like, why we need people if we don't have nothing to operate? Yeah, we kind of did in the opposite order of like, you know, it, just looking at it on paper, there are no goodbyes probably should have been like our first feature because, you know, it's just the two of us just using, mo I mean, mostly like probably 90% natural lighting. You know, it, the scheduling was tighter and, and things like that. And it was just kind of like shooting with the locations and, you know, accessories and things that you have and kind of building the project around that. So, <laughs> whereas then we, you know, it would have seemed to have been the next logical step to then go to schism, which would have mm -hmm. seemed bigger than that filming in a very difficult environment with tons of extras. Yeah. It's interesting. I guess maybe, you know, because schism was, I'm, I'm trying to think back now, um, but maybe because schism was such a link the, you know, kind of challenge in its own right, we were kind of like, let's just scale down, do, do something intimate that still, of course, has a sci-fi bent to it. And I will mention, Droda and I, uh, we had some vacations, you know, that were coming up between shooting. Like we went to Poland and the Czech Republic and Ireland. So, of course, we tied all of that into like the sci-fi elements of the story and filmed there as well. So, Of course, if you're going on holiday, the two of you, you're like, well, why don't we just shoot there? Yeah, absolutely. I love that. How did you work that with the actors then? Or was it a case of you just shot? other footage there. Dorota got to be an actress. Yeah, oh. I, was, I was the actor. <laughs> On I the cliff see. of uh, Mother, Mother Cliff. The, what are they called? Cliffs of Moor? Mm -hmm. Oh, in Ireland. Okay. Wow. Wow. So therefore you were like, well, look, we might as well shoot you traveling and going around. I love that. But that's how indie films should be made when you're starting out or trying to make movies. Why not? Why it not gave practice? us scale. It gave us pretty epic scale. Yeah, yeah I bet. Yeah. And what did you learn from those two films then, you know, moving forward into Unearth? Was, was looking back now, 
what what did you gain from that whole experience to go right i'm not going to do that i'm not going to do that i mean i think you learn one thing is that um and this is no disrespect to anybody that worked with us like you have to be a certain level of crazy to work on films and kind of sacrifice so much time and so much effort that really no one quite understands until they're there on set right giles yeah. so it's kind of like what we learned is that no one's going to love your baby like as much as you, um, mm -hmm. even even if you're paying them, you know, to kind of, <laughs> to, kind to of love jump it as much as you. A little yeah. bit, right? <laughs> um, but yeah, it's like it's only really going to make it as far, you know, not to put like all on the indie filmmaker's shoulders, but really to put all on the indie filmmaker's shoulders. It's it's only going to go as far as you have that stamina. And the, as, as far as your shoulders can, can hold that burden, you got to like drag it across the finish line. I think it's probably what I learned to wrote it. Uh, yeah. Uh, yeah. Similarly, you know, you, you need to be really uh, desperate and determined to have that um, finish line in mind to have it done and understand that working with different people require to be more flexible and understand the uh, living people and they have their, Characters and I know the actors are very sensitive souls. They appear like very high confidence, but deep down inside they're very fragile and very mm. um, sensitive to any kind of critics. So you have to be you have to be very careful working with actors because they are very delicate souls. <laughs> I totally agree, and it was good that you got to be an actor, you know, for a while. And I think that it does make a big difference. I think you learn so much, you know, as an actor for years, and you realize how to directors should talk to actors or they don't be scared of them and what they need and want. And every actor is different and it's so important. You're absolutely right, uh, Dorota. It's really important, really is. And just to, to get your head around that um, for, as, for, as quickly as you can. Which brings us nicely onto Unearth. John, would you like to tell us what it's about? And I can play the trailer and uh, then we can dive into it. Yeah, of course. Uh, Unearth is a story about two struggling neighboring farm families. Uh, one day they get a knock on the door and the opportunity to turn their lives around by leasing their land to a natural gas company. Uh, one of the families agrees to, the other does not. This fractures the relationship between the two. And as the land is drilled, not only uh, is the water contaminated at the two families, but something else unexpected is released and things go downhill. God help us if we get another weak yield this season. I got you all finished up. I can do $50 cash. Got a family. I don't think you guys are seeing the full picture. Catherine, you got a highway at the back of your field now. Well, where's your dairy business? I'm telling you, we gotta go big. We gotta get out. Eddie Drake, Patriot Exploration. Not interested. We could pay up to $1,200 an acre. The world is leaving us behind. I know you had a visit with me. You make the decisions that's best for your family. I'll make the decisions that's best for mine. Does that sound like something you might be interested in? Jesus, Dad, wake up! I think I just, just close my eyes for a second. Okay. 
This was supposed to save us. It's, it's so great. It really is a really interesting angle you've taken on the whole fracking thing, which is obviously a big thing, and it still is. But I imagine when you first started coming up with the idea, it was even bigger. Fracking was huge. And you, like say, you mentioned before, but you started to work on this in probably 2015, 2016. And this was the first time that you directed together. Um, what, how did that conversation come about? Why was it, why was it a case of let's do this together? What was, um, what was the thoughts behind this? I think that was one of the producers' uh, idea saying, why well, Dorota is not director? She's doing her work already. Mm. And I said, well, yeah, why, why not? I'm just doing what I've always been doing. So credit, sure. <laughs> they give me some more stable ground under my feet saying, okay, I'm entitled to do certain things on the set or have my own uh, voice a little bit louder than just and being kind of officially made person, what I was always pretty doing on the smaller scale. And besides that, the subject was kind of important. I thought that female-centric uh, drama, why not? I think I can be more engaged, engaged with that than just with regular productions we had in the past. So That's really interesting. How is it for you then, John? Because obviously you directed on your own before, and then to have, even though uh, Dorota was always on your shoulder anyway with thoughts and comments, how was that then to be, okay, we're doing this together? Just It's really interesting, I think, to know, because I, I don't know how I'd be now if I was to direct with someone else. Yeah, it was really just to kind of make it official and... Um, you know, to what you were saying, too, we also, uh, because of the themes of the story and having it be so female centric, mm. um, it, it was bringing Kelsey Goldberg on then the last it was about the last year, year and a half of working on the polishing of the script that it was really important to make sure that. You know, I wasn't that guy that was writing all these female voices and potentially getting it wrong. That would have been a huge sure. mistake. Mm -hmm. um, so, yeah, Kelsey coming in and making making everything right and, um, you know, kind of kind of getting all of that solidified. And it was just I mean, Dorota's always always been there. Like, you, you know, you've heard us, you know, talk about our our previous films. So it was really, you know, Dorota was, was ready to, to step up and, you know, really excited to work with Una Lee, our DP, mm, yeah. um, and work on, you know, selecting the, the lenses and the camera and all of that. I mean, she, you know, whether, you know, she had the title before or not, she's always been like a producer, director, cinematographer, all of those things. So it was, it was really just making that official, I think. Nice. Yeah, that's lovely. It's a good way to do it. Let's talk about how you did it then. How did you raise the money? You mentioned earlier you went on Kickstarter and started to uh, see if that could work and you raised over 150%. What was the choice to go on Kickstarter? Why do it that way? Was there no other choices for money? Think, if you can jump back for us, obviously it's 2015, 2016. What was your thought process at that point of going, how can we raise money for this? 
for us, it was like, yeah, stepping up from zero dollars to, you know, hey, let's set a modest goal of fifteen thousand dollars on Kickstarter and let's see if we can raise fifteen thousand dollars. Yeah. And uh, we could. And we raised actually 100 percent after Man, I can't remember, Dorito. Was it on the first day or the fifth day or something? It was definitely within the first week we had reached really? our goal. Why, yeah. how, why do you think that was? <laughs> what was it that you were doing that was, you know, that was so appealing for people to go, yeah, here's some money? <laughs> I think honestly, do? and it's why we put on the poster too, it's a fracking horror story. Like that combination of fracking and horror when, you know, that's the shortest pitch for the movie Unearth. like you just say it's a fracking horror movie, you instantly get a response, right? Yes. You either, yeah. And since our world is so political, you either get a response of like, fuck yeah, why haven't we seen that movie yet? Or you get mm-hmm. a response of like, oh, I see what you're doing there. Yeah. <laughs> yes. So th- putting um, that title in the Kickstarter, I think automatically got us eyeballs. Um, you know, unearth a fracking horror film or something like that is what the the title of the Kickstarter was. And like I said, I originally had just opened it up to us and Canada to be able to contribute to the Kickstarter, but we actually got people from the UK, from France, from Woo-hoo. Spain, like all over the place, message mm. us and say, why aren't you guys accepting uh, money contributions? From us. And then yeah. I was like, holy shit. Okay. <laughs> So then I we opened that. it up more. and It's like you made like a secret club. Yeah, no, no, you <laughs> yeah. can't. This is just for us guys. And oh, you want it? Oh, all right, then we'll let you in. It was really That's a amazing. lack of confidence. Like, honestly, yeah, like a lack of confidence of like, <laughs> let's see if we can do 15,000. Maybe we'll get there. And mm-hmm. then like, oh, other other people outside the US care about this subject? Okay. Awesome. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's a big thing in the UK as well. Yeah. Um, and did you, were you doing anything specific? Like, we did you have a plan? Were you emailing everyone? Were you t- uh, d- uh, social media s- style at that point? I think Twitter was around then. Yes. Um, yes. Facebook. Were you doing all that kind of world? Were you really pushing? Yeah, the thing with, uh, so I took a lot of, I sat on in on a lot of like seminars and, and workshops mm. and things months ahead of time. And really that would be the advice I would say is, Kind of like, you know, you need to build your audience and be familiar with your audience before you start production on your film. I think it's equally as important before you do crowdfunding, because we've all seen those friends who just out of the blue, you'll see them post a couple times a week. Hey, contribute to my mm-hmm. GoFundMe or my mm-hmm. Kickstarter or whatever. And, it, and then I'll check back in a couple weeks and yeah, man, you got like your mom and your uncle that contributed, but nobody else, right? Like you can't do it like that. (laughs) So there used to be, and I don't know if you can anymore, but there used to be a hack for Facebook where you could download all of your friends' email addresses. Oh, wow. I I don't know if you can, I think they, they stopped that. I'm not surprised. (laughs) Yeah. But I, I was able to download all of my friends on Facebook email addresses. And so like, 
a month and then a week. And then the day of, I emailed everyone and said, Hey, I have a new movie coming out. It's going to be on Kickstarter. You know, it's very important to get as much of your goal as possible in the first mm-hmm. 24 hours. Cause yes. that, you know, the cream rises top, takes you to the top of the, yep, uh, the whole algorithms yeah. and all that yep. stuff. And then we were chosen as a project that we love, I think is what Kickstarter mm-hmm. calls them now. And then IndieWire had us as their project of the week or something like Amazing. that. Amazing. Wow. Yeah. So and that's And that was prepared. just all based, yeah, that's being prepared, but that was just based off the concept then, I suppose. So there's already quite a fan base for it. Great. Well done. That's an amazing achievement. But you can't have made the film for 22, 23 grand. Could you? We did. We, did, we I mean, we had planned to, but then Dorota and I talked and, you know, we got on like author Chuck Polnick's radar. He tweeted mm-hmm. about us, giving mm-hmm. another shout out to Twitter. Um, <laughs> and then Mark Lucas and Alison McAtee, mm-hmm. we got on their radars and they are originally from Erie, Pennsylvania themselves. Amazing. Brilliant. And so then it kind of turned into okay, let's take these funds. Let's let in another key with crowdfunding is always keep your people informed regularly. Mm -hmm. I hate like on Kickstarter when you don't, somebody makes the film, you see it come out on Amazon prime and they still haven't even messaged like their contributors. (laughs) And you're like, what the hell guys? Yeah, Yeah. (laughs) totally. Yeah. So always, so we were always communicating, Hey, this is what we're thinking. We're thinking of, you know, making a better film than you bought into by using this money, making a proof of concept, and then going and approaching investors uh, to, you know, to raise the overall budget. And people were really excited about that idea. And they were excited about like having Mark and Allison come on board. Well, so they came on board for the proof of concept then? For the proof of concept, yep. And that kind of became part of our marketing too, right? Dorota is we... You know, we said, okay, we're going to, because they're like Dorota mentioned, there's the Greater Erie Film Office and there's the Film Society of Northwestern Pennsylvania. And we kind of told them, we'll be the guinea pigs. We will try and raise investment locally. We'll shoot this proof of concept. We're going to bring talent home. And that's mm-hmm. how we're going to market this and hire yeah. local. And let's see if we can kind of make this a calling card for Erie that people can do this in yeah, Erie. That. Yeah. Wow. I love that. And what did they, obviously they said, yeah, let's go for that, Dorota. What was their response when you sat and talked to them about this? Um, I think that they loved the idea. I mean, um, I know that Mark was more, uh, he gave a couple helpful tips uh, about the budget and do not go too crazy because, you know, it's indie productions and you have to sell it later in order to give back to your investors. So you cannot get too carried away with your request as far as the budget um, size so amount and so yeah it was very helpful to get those two on board because uh, they had more experience and mark was really helpful as a producer and he gave us his wisdom so we could learn more from him and yeah how did you manage to raise that extra bit of cash then and because you know now we're talking 
quite a bit because I, I don't know how much you made it for, but it looks like it's a nice big budget. And you, that's a testament to you two and the whole team, uh, and the Un Ali as well, your cinematographer. I hope I pronounced that right. But I think that that's really testament. But how did you go about it? Did you do a pack? Did you do an information memorandum? They're called in the UK, you know, where you're saying how much money you're going to get back, how this is going to work. Did you do all that? Was it a full on deck and pack that you put together? Yeah, for sure. <laughs> yeah, it tell was us a lot about of it. work. It was so much work. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, everything you're you're saying is right. Really, and this is looking looking back to it, Dorota. I think really the most important decision for us was doing that proof of concept. Honestly, Giles, because mm. approaching people in an in an area that have never invested in a film before, there is a lot of education that comes with that and being able to just show them, um, you know, we shot the proof of concept on like a red dragon 6k and what did we have to like cook, cook anamorphic lenses. Oh yeah. Yeah. We have cook, uh, we had cook anamorphic lenses. Uh, They were good, but they were not consistent by the focal focal point. So basically it was some issues later and so we decided to go with different lenses after that but it was very like i don't know if we tried to make that as high quality as possible because we wanted to attract people just by the looks also not just the story but mm. that was the look was kind of my my priority as far as the film so we we rented those cooks and then we hired dp ryan postas who was also local born but he was at the time living in working in la but he flew to work on this project to make it better and then three of us and also we had the sound uh, mike berlin and that's all our crew for the proof of concept but yes definitely we try to put as much effort as possible because we did realize when we were finished with that proof of concept, when we went to New York and showed to potential investors, we had kind of um, opportunity to show that to um, major distribution people over there. And they were kind of uh, amazed by the quality. I mean, amazed, that's the kind of big word, but they were very impressed with the quality of that proof of concept. And we had a letter of intent from one of them wow. saying that, well, yes, we are very interested in the project. So I think it's definitely worth of doing that for actual production. Totally agree. I think I think where a lot of filmmakers do fall down here is they try and make a proof of concept on a really low budget. And the problem is it doesn't look how the end film's going to look, but your investors or your uh, big studio, whoever you're going to, are going to look at it and go, yeah, that's the best they can do. So my advice, and probably you're the same, and it sounds exactly right, Dorota, what you're saying there is, no, no, we made sure we got the right lenses, we got the right DP, and obviously you got your brilliant cast, and you two making it special it now becomes a proper proof of concept that you could slot in the feature film and i think that's what's important don't try and make a short or try and if it's not good enough don't show it it's because people will be put off by it but it sounds like yours was and it like say you've got this letter of intent and you move forward this episode is brought to you by etsy sound the gifting panic alarm you need to get an amazing gift wait no the perfect gift relax now you can use gift mode on etsy Gift Mode on Etsy takes the stress out of gifting, so you can find the perfect item for anyone and any occasion. It's easy. Just tap or click Gift Mode on your Etsy app or Etsy.com. Then answer a few short questions about who you're shopping for and what they like. And Gift Mode instantly gives you curated gift ideas based on hundreds of personas. 
Now it's simple to find gifts made by independent sellers for all the people in your life. So whether you need a housewarming gift for the new homeowner or a birthday present for the pickleballer, Gift Mode has you covered. Need to find the perfect gift? Don't panic. Try Gift Mode on Etsy now. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. This episode is brought to you by Visit Myrtle Beach. You know what's better than getting away to a beach? Getting together at the beach. Myrtle Beach, South Carolina. They've got over 2,000 restaurants, live music playing all day and night, and endless attractions. This place was made for playing hard and beaching easy. Welcome to 60 Miles Where You Belong. The Beach, Myrtle Beach, South Carolina. Plan your trip at visitmyrtlebeach.com. Tell us about the next step now. Now you're moving forward. Now you've got your proof of concept and you have gone and met these people. This moment must have been amazing for you. I can see you smiling already. The fact that then suddenly someone goes, yeah, yeah, no worries. Here's some money. How did it happen? <laughs> well, <I just> want <laughs> Not that easy. <laughs> Before John tells more about it, I just want to mention, yes, that was amazing feeling because you are on the middle of nowhere in Pennsylvania. You're doing the project very first time in your life. You're shooting something you never did before, basically. And you go to New York and there's serious people in the industry saying, oh, this is great potential. We really like it. There's a proof of, con- there's a proof of concept we really like. And there's a letter of intent. It's like the whole new world opens in front of you and you're just getting more and more greedy, I would say, for the quality of the production. So uh, then I was like, oh, my God. If we did with these lenses, why don't we do shoot with these the other lenses, even better lenses? Or we mm. have better light, or we compromise. For example, I gave away my salary in order to get a better camera or lenses because that was my priority. I'm not doing the film to get paid that couple grand and go back to your, your home, you know, basically. Mm. But you're making the film, so you have to be prepared for some kind of sacrifices because you're creating art right now. This is your goal, not nothing else matters so that's you have to establish your priorities and the whole world is just different basically and you want to hire better people you want to hire more professional cast and you want to hire people who from out of area to who know how to do i don't know like light or proper sound everything like that so your appetite grows after that kind of moment in your life and you're just greedy greedy but the grit is good in this case but, yeah <laughs> greedy in a good way because you want to go make the film and that's so nice to hear that you went look i'd sacrifice whatever here i get to make the film that we want to make and it is it is important especially when you are saying it's a couple of grand well if you are working somewhere else and that's your regular income you kind of like, well look i'm gonna take a couple of weeks off and i'll take the hit but that means i can get this lens or this camera or that sound person yeah totally makes your film better i love that sacrifice john how was that moment for you and and talk about how it actually did happen what was the moment when someone came forward and went yeah here you go I'll just say for your listeners, so they're like, what a dick. He let Dorota like sacrifice her salary. We, we both, we both gave up. Congratulations for saying that. It's not true, is it? <laughs> but I was no. just that bad Eve basically saying, I'm giving away. And then, okay, I will do that too. Yeah, yeah. No, <laughs> no but it's, if, you, if that's what you've got to do to make your film the way you need it to be, 
great. If that helps you move forward, then you have to do it. Yeah, absolutely. So now you're pitching it to all these people. And what was the, what, what, what was the breakthrough? So we have our, our proof of concept video. We have our, a letter of intent um, from a boutique uh, distributor. And then, yeah, we put together, as you said, um, you know, kind of all the, the legalese, you know, the 30 page documents, the, everything that you need that says, you know, your investment equals this many points mm-hmm. and there's this many you know, units or points uh, available to raise uh, what we need to make make our budget. And I mean, this I'll, I will gloss over a little bit. Because <laughs> it's a full on crash course, this one. It's a whole podcast yes. talking about that. This is a whole, a whole podcast. And this is where you really, um, you know, like our, our mutual friend, Alex Ferrari, always mm. says too, like the, you got to be a, a business person, a film entrepreneur right you have mm-hmm. to this is a different part of the brain than than shooting a film this is full-on business and pitching and that is a skill and, and giles it was i have a spreadsheet with 200 names on it of people that i approached and 30 um said yes and wow. that is how we got our budget oh congratulations <laughs> It was a year, a year and a half of hearing a lot of no's. And you probably know this yourself that when, Mm -hmm. as soon as you start talking to somebody, like you get to a point, like you're really precious with it. At least I was, I took, I take everything like very personally. And so the first couple no's, I was like, man, this is, I'm doing terrible. This is Mm -hmm. never going to work or whatever. But then you get it kind of like, you kind of learn as you go and you kind of polish your pitch a little better each time. And then you start getting some yeses and then it's like, Oh, holy shit. Okay. And then (laughs) then you get to such a point where it's like, you can tell in the first minute if this person is a yes or a no. And that's kind Mm -hmm. of like, okay, I'm not taking offense to this. Thank you so much for your time. You know, we'll maybe in the future we'll work together and then you move on to the next person. And it's kind of like getting out of that headspace of like that it's impossible and that um, you just have to kind of research each person that you're pitching to, mm. seeing what their interests are. You know, maybe if you look at their Instagram and they, you know, have went to an event before and they're posing with a celebrity, then maybe be like, hey, Mark Blucas is in this movie mm-hmm. and you can be in this movie and you can meet Mark and, yep. you know, be behind the scenes and stuff. That's the way maybe to approach them. Or if you see like on their Facebook page that their interests are like every horror movie and The Walking Dead and all these TV shows, you can be like, this is a horror movie. We're going to do practical effects. We're going to show you things that you've never seen before. It's going to be so fun. Or if they're an environmentalist and they're posting, you know, like progressive things Mm -hmm. or liberal things, you can be like, we want to save the environment, too. This is a movie with a message. So you kind of got to work out your pitch for each individual person. This is a lot of work. Like Mm -hmm. you said, this is its own podcast. Um, But doing the homework uh, can pay off, even if it takes a year and a half to get there. 
Well, congratulations. And I love that little sort of explanation you, you did there and some great advice because, you know, people don't know how to talk to investors or approach it. But it seems like you did so well. So congratulations. It's an amazing achievement. It really is. Now you're making your movie. Unearth. It's it's great. I really enjoyed the sort of the drama side of this. You know, the acting, the performances were fantastic. And you kind of took us on this journey of this slow build world, you know, uh, and then all hell breaks loose when the fracking really happens and everything goes off. And, you know, you mentioned there about the horror side of stuff and the, the, the effects that you got, the prosthetics, the SFX, stunning, you know, really stunning. I'm like, wow, okay. So you must have raised quite a bit of money to get this or it was a certain people in the area that were, were good. Were you bringing people in from outside now who weren't necessarily in Indiana area? How, how did you go about the, the, the whole sort of process of making the movie? I'll let's see. Yeah, this is all, all really great questions. Um, Sorry, I did them so, all at once. Apologies. No, no, no. <laughs> all, all thanks on the practical effects, which, yes, was always a goal because mm. um, Dorota and I have said, you know, time and time again that you can have the, a Marvel movie with a $200 million budget uh-huh. and those visual effects will still, in my opinion, in Sometimes it's even just one year's time will look not necessarily great. Whereas practical is captured in camera with the real light uh, that's hitting the actors and all the objects are hitting your practical effects. And what you've got in camera, you will always have because it's a real physical object. So shout out to Tolan Effects, who is in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. So about um, an hour and a half, two hours south of us. And um, they've worked on all of the big uh, features that have come through Pittsburgh, like The Dark Knight Rises mm-hmm. um, and, you know, uh, one of the Tom Cruise action movies, Jack Reacher, um, yes. yeah. you know, like a lot of these big films. And they will occasionally, if you reach out to them far enough ahead of time, and we reached out to them like a year, a full year at least ahead of time. And we kind of got them uh Giles, by the same thing, when I was writing the script and I kind of bounced some ideas off of my horror friends, there's some Im- there's one particular image, which we won't spoil, but there's an image in the film that usually lasts with everybody that's seen the film. And I threw that to my horror friends and I threw that to Tolan Effects. And I said, this scene kind of says everything that I want to say message wise in the film. And people were like oh shit, we have never seen that before. You're going to go there. Okay. <laughs> I like that challenge. Yeah. And, you know, things like that. And then, um, you know, really kind of basing it in the natural world, which, you know, I'm sure Dorota wants to jump in here and comment on, um, you know, practical effects, keeping things based in the natural world as far as we could. I think that also attracted some talent that normally would have been out of our Range. Yes, I can imagine so. When you said practical effects, I, my first movie, The Dare, I used as much practical effects as I could, you know, severed hands, eyeballs, worms, all that kind of stuff that going into people. And it just, it feels so much better. It's your skin peeling. It feels, but when it's practical, you just believe it more, even though you know it's not real. But as an audience member, you go, yeah, cool, old school practical effects. As soon as you CGI them, you instantly go, Oh. And there's a couple of CGI moments in the day and you just go, oh. I mean, yeah, obviously we couldn't put, you know, 
bugs in kids' mouths and stuff. So you do sometimes have to go. There was they were all up for it, but yeah, you go. No, we can't do that. And and obviously the crops you had, you know, I'm not gonna say you had the crops were there, right? The crops were a big part of this movie. Did you have to say, well, we have to shoot at a certain time of year because obviously crops won't be there or the certain height you wanted and, or the farmers who actually own those lands wanted not actors running around in it ruining their lovely crops how did you get all the locations how did you work out the sort of time of year you wanted to shoot at because obviously things like that are a huge part of it yeah i mean uh the the farms that we shot at which uh Lashevsky farm is the real sweet corn farm that was the dolan's location mm -hmm. and they were incredible actually the the owners of of both families the lomac family across the street too or across the dirt road too were Fantastic. We had two different locations and one of them we lost right before production. I'm going to say in either April or May. And mm -hmm. we were filming in August, mm -hmm. like the first week of August was when we started. And that was a big nervous panic <laughs> because because right. we wanted to have, you know, two two places right across from the road from each other uh, because that played into the story and having them isolated and things like that. So yeah. we ended up uh, my boss at my day job, uh, DJ Bradley, said, hey, I live right in, like my father in law has this farm um, right next door. Why don't you check it out? And they were bigger farms, more expansive more cinematic and it's kind of one of those things like you know we we're talking about before where you have to like improvise all the time sometimes it works out so that when you improvise right it's like above and beyond what you even imagined and it just makes things so much better so mm. we we're very thankful to get those farms they they worked with us um that one of the farmers is an extra in the movie he comes up to the the farm stand and buys some of his own sweet corn <laughs> Um, yeah, that. but these are just two two gentlemen in their what are they Dorota their seventies eighties? Yeah, about eight, pushing eighty. Yeah, pushing eighty, and they are the hardest working people yeah. in the world. They go out and they're picking this corn by hand all day long and selling it at their fruit stand. So, um, you know, we were able to keep that very true to real life. All of those locations and and make them as real as they are all of the locations are you know we the one one of the houses you know Dorota and Una had uh, our production team paint the walls darker but otherwise mm. you know the holes that are in the wall in the kitchen and yep. all of those things they are really there you know these are real um struggling grit raw <laughs> situations mm -hmm. in in pennsylvania and it um, comes across you know you do have they felt real you know i felt the actors and, and certainly your two leads there if you call them the two leads also ended up being producers with you mark lucas and alice and mcatee and i loved that because you felt that they were part of that world you know and, and obviously we, we can always talk about adrian yeah babo who's just sensational you know i thought all your cast were i thought they really were brooke as well you know rachel rachel mckeon just brilliant really really just across the board though i didn't feel it was a weak link i thought like i say i think it's a really brilliant film i think you've both done incredibly well was it always just for me it's fascinating to know was it always the moment to, to because it does change it's kind of a bit like dust till dawn where you're going down one journey and then suddenly it goes woof and pulls the carpet from when you go oh my god everything's going on this 
you know, and what's real, what's not at this point, what's hallucinating, what's not. Was that always the sort of plan to just pull the rug a little bit, to not tease us before? Yeah, always the plan was to kind of try and have our cake and eat it too, really, and straddle <laughs> that line of drama. Like, because mm-hmm. to your point, the first half and, you know, some have said critically, you know, all except for the last 20 minutes are firmly in the family drama, slow building dread, you know, situation. And then, yeah, it goes into horror the way. I always looked at it is, you know, if you're at ground zero of um, a tragedy, life is normal until it's not right until you have that event. So even though we show, you know, approximately halfway through the film when the land is drilled, we do show that there's something underground and that there's something kind of getting into the water, just like the families don't know, you know, we kind of leave that out there and simmering and you see people, you know, start coughing and maybe start getting rashes and and things Mm -hmm. like that. Like we, it's maybe something that on a second viewing, you know, you'll see some of the hints in there where it's like, you know, now that we've lived through a pandemic or we're still going through a pandemic, it's, you know, every cough and sneeze kind of has a different vibe right now, Mm -hmm, but it was kind of like putting things like that, into the film early on and have somebody say like, Oh, it must just be my allergies or whatever. Well, it's not, it's not it's your not. allergies. It's already started Something this. else is going on. <laughs> and what did you learn from, you know, from making this movie? Because it does f- feel like a big step up from your last movies you made, you know, and what you're going to moving forward to your next film, which I really hope you make um, soon. What, what what did you feel that you know it was like on set? What did you feel that, that all that experience you'd had before was it totally worth it? Was did it help you in in any ways? Dorota, let's start with you. Uh, yes, definitely. The previous ex, uh, experimental projects definitely help a lot, but this particular project was the whole new experience, and I learned so much that it's uh, you cannot even compare to pro- previous work I did. You have to learn. I learned the most that you have to think about the budget, where it goes. What's, what do you have to prioritize? I would spend less in certain departments and put maybe more in other departments. We had very limited uh, crew. We had five people working on lights and uh, gaffers and grip electrics. So it was very tiny crew. We had... We did not have majority of necessary equipment because uh, we needed some lights we didn't have. So it was just a lot of limitations as far as uh, the equipment, as lightning equipment and uh, something simple like generators or fog machines, everything like that was some issues with that. You have to be sure you have a backup. Otherwise, (laughs) you have to smoke cigarettes in order to have that air diffused behind you. So it's like... um, yeah, learning that the budget is crucial. You have to plan your budget wisely and put more money in other areas than I thought I would need and have maybe more people than I thought in certain areas when I plan to or maybe have different kind of lightning because I know there are some smaller lights were necessary and we didn't have those. So we had to, the, our crew had to really sweat and improvise. So yeah, that was mostly budget and then hire people who are determined and actually know their experience from the actual that other people seek some kind of background um, 
I don't want to mm-hmm. say background check, yep. but actually interview their previous employers to see if they are legit, if they know what they're really doing. Because we had situation when we, for example, hire a person who had really no experience but was uh, projecting themselves like they, they do ex- have experience. So we had to improvise yeah. and That's replace hard. them in the middle yeah. of the shooting, basically. Yeah. So, yeah, <laughs> yeah, it's hard. And other than, the, mm-hmm. other than that, I'm really happy no one got injured because, as you know, independent uh, filmmaking, you have when you work with uh, armory, like guns, or you have to jump through some kind of uh, running through mm-hmm. the corn when it's not necessarily yeah. the safest environment to run through. Yeah. It's flamethrowers. <laughs> we had a flamethrower on set. Yeah, accidents happen. People die on the sets. Like we have some famous independent f- movies when something got bounced up <laughs> from the running train and someone died and on the set. That's a tragedy. So I was really happy that with that kind of mm-hmm. short period of time, we had 18 days to shoot. That large script was six pages a day, I think. So we were rushing. We didn't have to, fin- we could not finish certain scenes because we had to finish the project. So we had to sacrifice some of the scenes. So it was crazy short, very limited cast and crew and the time and so i'm just happy overall no one got hurt yeah no it's so important though isn't it the safety of everyone you know at the end of the day you are making a movie but and and there is a high tense environment but safety of people is is more important because if god forbid something does happen you're stopping anyway you're not going to make them you've finished it's done so actually it's you've sacrificed one shot for the sake of safety or taking that extra bit of time is really important and i loved what you said about background check on crew people can lie on cvs um and just make it up and say that they've been a focus baller say that they've you know gaffered before when they've probably just assisted someone and they actually aren't experienced or they aren't experienced in budget on the full being a costume designer and they have you know they've done bits but not fully had to do with a cost you know a budget of one and they don't know where they can get all this from and suddenly it gets out of hand brilliant great advice john same to you what did you learn on this one what uh, advice can you give filmmakers oh daruda stole, stole one <laughs> she of mine. did well to be fair <laughs> it was, was really good, good. <laughs> so good luck <laughs> uh yeah i'll just i'll just back up daruda and say yeah do your due diligence i mean you know once you start ramping up to production like you know once we had adrian on board and the dates were you know then like really locked and it's kind of like all right you don't want to lose um you know some of like our, our biggest name right mm-hmm. in, in the film you can overlook um kind of your and this is where it get con- gets complicated when you're being a director producer you know you, your brain wants to you know we want to lean into that creative side and like go full on into directing but it's like reminding yourself of that business side the producer side and not overlooking not taking your eye off the ball of due diligence with crew. Chances are if, you know, during the early meetings and pre-production meetings and stuff, if you if your spidey sense was going off that you might have an issue uh, mm-hmm. with, with someone, it might be worth like really exploring and taking that bullet before you start filming instead of having to let, you know, a couple people go on day one. Yeah. <laughs> Love that. It's so yeah. true because it's hard work on day one. There's so much other stuff going on. If you've got to let people go and then replace them. Oh uh, yeah. 
it's tough. So actually, you're right. Do due diligence first if you can and work with people you know, love, trust. Even when people are telling you, no, no, go higher, get that person, get that person. Actually, the people who've worked with you all the way up, they deserve that too. So, you know, and if they're good enough, you like them, why not? Um, great, great advice. Let's see, obviously you shot in 2018 and just to finish off, it'd be really interesting to know why took so long to come out i know reason why movies take so long to come out totally but it'd be really good to hear your journey of that and what happened obviously 2018 it happened and obviously the covid in 2020 and now 2021 but still it's always difficult and frustrating so do you want to touch <laughs> on that a little bit yeah i mean uh, it, it kind of covers some of the stuff we've we've talked about with budgeting and you know drode and i were talking to a fabulous editor that was like our dream to have this editor on the film um and then once we got down to you know them coming out for i forget how long they were going to come out dorota for like a week like a crash course week to try and edit the film because wow. that was all we could afford in their wow. you know their budget um and kind of discovering yeah that that's not gonna that's not possible it's just no. not gonna be possible no. um you know, so Gerard and I ended up having to edit ourselves, which was not our original plan. Gerard, you want to jump in, <laughs> jump in on any of that? Well, right, yeah. You know, editing is a totally different skill, and you learn uh, at, in school the rules and the tricks. And you know, editor can rewrite the script because has fresh eye and brilliant ideas how to make the best out of those takes you have. So. I was really hoping we can get editor to make it movie to the next level because, you know, footage is a footage, but the skilled person can put it something really awesome from, from uh, even better than we imagine and different uh, change the story and adjust. And so I was really hoping we can have editor, but it did not work out with not, not with our budget. It's unfortunately it was um, out of our budget. So we did edit ourselves. John was behind the steering wheel. I was sitting next and uh, just as John, you did say, I was directing kind of thing. Mm. The editing Move process. that, press that button. Why is that yeah. green box next to that one? Yeah, but you both edited before. So it wasn't like this is new, new, but still editing a feature film with all that footage is hard. Yeah, it's, it's a lot of a lot of footage, a lot of uh, gigabytes of footage and you have the sound and you have the different takes and it's totally different pressure when you have uh, that kind of project and you have people above you waiting for this to be done mm -hmm. basically and yeah that was a lot of uh, a lot of a lot of stressful time because you know i i do realize we did not film everything i wanted to film we had to compromise and we had to cut the scenes some of the scenes because we were running out of time so it's like we don't have that luxury as some um, David Fincher has this 70 takes of one, you know, mm -hmm. one thing and I can choose and pick for, you know, just perfect shots. So, yeah, it was tough to make the best from out of this what, we, what you have. Yeah, then it kind of became we had a schedule when we had an editor. But then once it became, once Dorota and I got over that really like it's kind of like a depression because mm -hmm. it's like you you're handing it off to an yeah, expert baby. and you're yeah. in good hands right sure and you you're looking forward to kind of <laughs> taking a little back seat for yeah. a change mm -hmm. and then once you you know mentally learn like ah oh, shit 
like, we're going to have to edit this now. Um, that takes a while to get into the headspace of, yeah. okay, damn, I am editing this thing mm-hmm. now. Yeah. And so then we, then it was like, we're going to take as long as we need to. And because as Dorota said, we, we didn't, you know, get all of our dream shots and we had to cut some scenes and stuff like that. So really it was like, you know, let's take as much time as we can and make it as good as we can. And this also played into, I think, the benefit of having more time for sound and the the, the score and the the visual effects that are in the film, because there are some um, enhancement visual effects and some other things that you wouldn't even notice. Um, but to make the farms uh, film feel more isolated, like we removed houses out of the backgrounds of shots and stuff like that. Yes. Yeah. Um, things you wouldn't even know. Mm. But then like the score, like to give Jane Saunders more time to do her original score, which actually incorporates um, sounds from the earth and sounds of industry into her instrumentation and to give Chris Bell more time on the sound design. Mm -hmm. Kind of what we were talking about before of like, if you can do great on the sound and on the music, that's like half the battle right there. It did kind of in a way... um, maybe allow us to have better a better sound situation in the film than we would have um you know if we were rushing towards like festivals in 2020 kind of a thing or in 2019 sorry right so we don't have unlimited time to edit we ha- still had some deadlines to to go mm. but still now it's not as rushed which is it's sometimes god i i don't want to edit my i'm really not interested in suddenly going oh gosh here's all the drives start the edit process. I just, I feel for you because once you've edited it, you kind of want someone else to lead that and you then come in and shape it with them. So I don't know how you got through it, but well done for doing it. And and then you got, did you go back to the same distribution company who'd given you that letter of intent? Or were you now in a position to go, hey, we can go wherever we want. We've got a great movie. Yeah, we, we did not. Um, <laughs> but it, it was kind of like once we got into Fantasia, which is a fantastic mm-hmm. genre festival. It's like the biggest genre festival in North America. That was kind of like, um, you know, kind of again, going back to the Kickstarter situation. It was like, oh, wow, we've made it into this really fantastic film festival okay, let's see maybe what, what doors can open now. Um, mm-hmm. And we got our international sales agent, Real Suspects, um, right after our first screen, or was it before our first screening? I can't remember now. But yeah, things again started falling into place. And then, of course, then you have the situation where you're making all these awesome global film festivals and damn it, you can't go because there's a pandemic. <laughs> <laughs> you know, it's yeah. like, yeah. then you have all those challenges. Um, but yeah, it's, um, it's been interesting and we've had some really good partners with our sales agents and our distributors thus far. They allowed us, uh, Giles to hold on, uh, in the States to our theatrical because no one was going to do mm. a theatrical. Um, yeah. So therefore you know, give us in, the rights and you can do little screenings yourself. Absolutely. Yeah. It's so important to hold on to those rights actually. Yeah. They're not going to put it out. So we premiered in Los Angeles. We were the first film at Lemley Theaters, uh, the historic Lemley Theaters, to sell out post-pandemic. We had somebody uh, during during that scene we talked about that uh, ran out of the theater and vomited on the theater wall. Oh my uh, gosh! Which is a fantastic story. It's a fantastic story. (laughs) 
<laughs> and then, so yeah, it's been a long, a long eight-year journey. Very interesting. We've learned a, a hell of a lot. <laughs> yeah. No, we have. And congratulations. You know, it's really great. The film's out now. Unearth. Do go see it. It's, it's out in America. It's definitely out in the UK. What other territories mm-hmm. have you got at the moment? Yeah, it's on. It's Signature Entertainment, which is fantastic Woo-hoo! in which the is, UK. Which is uh, they just well they uh, they're my company. They made Arthur Ooh. Merlin with me, and we just done Wolf of War. The War film was with Signature, so congrats. Yeah, yeah no, they're fantastic. So yeah, they congrats great. to you. Yeah, um, fr- yeah, France. Um, let's see, Germany, France, U.S. and Canada. Am I missing that? Ireland? Um, Ireland, yeah, because UK. Yeah, and they're still they're still working on it. So we actually just played in the Bifon Festival in South Korea. So we're still actually in festivals. It's been over a year, and um, yeah, hopefully uh, more more countries to come and more places can see it. Amazing. Listen, congratulations. Unearth is amazing. You deserve a huge round of applause, and uh, everyone should go see this movie and support indie film because it's it's great. And you guys, it's a lovely story as well. You've done well, and I can't wait to see what you guys do next. Huge congrats. Well done. Thank you for your time and what you do on the podcast. It is uh, priceless. Thank you. Bless you. Thank you so much. Um, where can people find you on the socials? Yeah, we've, unearthmovie.com is the main site. And then our handles for Facebook, Twitter, Instagram are unearthmovie, except for... Um, which one is Unearth Twitter. the Movie? Twitter is Unearth the Movie. Otherwise, we're Unearth Movie everywhere. Amazing. Uh, so good. So go go follow, go tweet the guys as well. Um, I take it your Twitter handles are on Unearth Movie. Yes. Yeah, Nothing. we are. Um, your yeah, John Lions C. Lyons Productions. And Lions There's, Den Productions. Yeah. Yep, yep. Yeah. And it's Sweeze. Did you pronounce it? Swiss or Swiss? Just uh, well, uh, normally I would say Schwens, but uh, Schwens. Wow, the Rote Schwens. Nice, but no, normally you'd say that. But then, is there an alternate? <laughs> but I have. Uh, I, I forgive a lot on. Yeah, it's okay. Swiss. I, I react. I will look your way if you say Swiss. Swiss, but Swiss is best. Great, that's perfect. No, thank you. Um, remember, you can go out there and make your indie film just as John and Dorota have done. You can go out and do it. Look at that. You can raise money on a Kickstarter. You can make a proof of concept. You can go out there and then raise more finance. Learn how to do it. Learn the business side of it and go make your film and get it released out into the world. And if you're lucky enough to rise up and do well, it is your duty to send the elevator back down. Uh, we will see you next Tuesday. As always, you can follow me at Giles Alderson. You can follow the podcast at Filmmakers Pod. Do go on there and do thank all our guests for coming on and talking. And if you do like this, tell all your friends. That's how we grow and that's why we keep doing this to help you. Again, John, thank you so much for your time. Really appreciate it. Thank you so much. Dorota, thank you. Thank you. Great. We'll see you all next Tuesday. Take care, stay well and go do something right now, this second to go make your film happen. I can't hear you doing it. Go do it. Do it now. (laughs) See you next Tuesday. Take care, everyone. Bye-bye.